0: welcome back to focal point the imv imaging podcast i'm harriet your host and i'm joined by the usual members of the imv clinical team so hello to sam hi everybody and amy hi guys so this month we'll be delving into the world of veterinary dentistry and we're lucky to have ingrid tundo joining us on the podcast ingrid is a specialist in veterinary dentistry and is currently the head of maxillofacial surgery at dental vets in scotland so welcome to the podcast ingrid and thank you for joining us hi everyone Um, I know I've just given a really brief overview of your current role at dental vets but please tell us more about your career path and how you ended up specializing in veterinary dentistry
1: absolutely so um, it happened by chance to be fair I was doing a rotating internship back in Italy in Novara uh, in this very big uh, um, referral center and halfway through my internship uh, the specialist in dentistry uh, joined us uh, and her name uh, is margarita gracchis for the people that are in the dentistry uh, world she is very well known Um, and and i started to get very fascinated by the fact that she was always in this room uh, closed by herself uh, with her own little uh, dental x-rays and doing all her surgeries about something that i never been taught about. So I was like, this is very fascinating. So I want to know more. And uh, she is a lovely person, but she's a very strong character. So sometimes some people can get intimidated by her. But I find her very lovely. And uh, she welcomed me in the dentistry suite uh, very nicely. And she started to ask me anatomy questions straight away. So I was like, okay, <laughs> um, but we found um, a good a good uh, uh, vibe b- between us. So she taught me lots of things about taking dental x-rays, oral examination, and everything that I didn't know existed in my profession, despite I was uh, graduated uh, um, from like 12 months prior uh, we met. And so... Um, and funny enough, my father and my older brother are both human dentists. <laughs> so uh, when I said, you know, I got very interested in dentistry, they were like, for pets? I was like, yeah, for cats and dogs, mainly. So they were shocked.
0: It was meant to uh, be. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, so it was I, to be fair. And so, um, yeah, so... Then uh, she, every time she had a surgery, and she was uh, uh, doing lots of maxillofacial surgeries, so every time she needed an extra pair of hands, she would call me, and I started to, to gain quite a bit of experience on uh, on these patients, and I decided that uh, that was definitely the the discipline I wanted to pursue in life. And so I said, you know, I want to do more training so we started the, an internship so it was the internship in maxillofacial surgery dentistry and when she wasn't in, in the practice and uh, i was uh, an intern in soft tissues and then after uh, that year i asked her if we could open a residency uh, but unfortunately due to uh, financial restriction i couldn't uh, do the residency in uh, in italy so she basically sent me to the UK. <laughs> um So she was a very good friends with Peter Southerden then, and, uh, uh it was a clinical director in Swindon, uh, and I didn't know how Swindon looked like before I arrived in Swindon, <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm just coming from Milan, <laughs> and uh, this is Swindon, fantastic. Um, for who doesn't know Swindon, Swindon it's. Probably not like the the, the top uh, uh, tourist uh, city in the UK. It's very but different from exactly,
2: Milan. <laughs> yeah, it's not like
1: Milan, is it? <laughs> I loved it. Like I, I got engaged in Sweden and I uh, met my wife there. So I love Sweden. Sweden, it's uh, it's a dear place in my heart. Um, but when I arrived in Sweden, so my English was very poor, like like colors and numbers, uh, and like I'm ashamed of it. But that was the reality so uh but what i knew was dentistry so as soon as i arrived they you know showed me the dentistry room i was like well i can take exercise for you if you want i can clean the table for you if you want so peter basically uh told me you know let's see uh how we can introduce you in the in the team so i did an internship for a few months there and, and then uh, he opened up a position and uh, and i got the residency and that, that was that was it, basically. Then after the residency, I decided, or I decided, my wife decided that Swindon was enough. <laughs> so we moved to Edinburgh, where I joined the university uh, for a couple of years. And then last August, uh, um, I joined Dental Vets, uh, where I'm uh, the head of the Maxillofacial Surgery Department, and I'm very happy. Uh, to be here, <laughs> and thank you for asking me to join you guys.
0: I mean, I might be biased, but I also live in Edinburgh, so Edinburgh was a very good choice.
1: Yes, it's an awesome city. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> um,
0: so s- starting on from your career, starting at dental vets. So, what does your typical day like uh, look like when when you when you start?
1: When I started here in dental vets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I can tell you what I've done today. So, today I had a puppy with a malocclusion. Uh, there was a seven-month-old uh, puppy that had uh, the 304, uh, that is the left mandibular canine tooth. That was uh, um, lingually displaced, so it was slightly too close to the tongue. And for this reason, the tip of the canine was occluding on the palate. So when the puppy was closing the mouth, the canine was the only thing that was touching the, the upper jaws. And so this was a traumatic occlusion. And for this reason, uh, the treatment I performed, it's called the vital part therapy with crown reduction. So basically what I did, I sectioned the, the part of the crown of the canine that was in contact with the soft tissues of the upper jaws. And then I filled the, the tooth with the dental materials in order to prevent bacterial contamination and so the in this in this way now when the puppy closed the mouth uh, has a normal occlusion with no trauma and then the second patient uh, was a labrador I uh, was 11 years old uh, with an oral mass uh, and i performed the rostrum mandiblectomy <laughs> so oh, wow. that was my day
0: <laughs> that that's uh, that's a lot more exciting than mine
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not you know like uh the, the the thing about or and, and oral oral surgery is that uh, i think that people maybe know it a little bit less so when you actually say what you're doing they are like wow and it's like it's just because it's the first time you're hearing this because i can tell you that after a year that you do the same things over and over again it, it, I, I still get excited to be fair uh, but uh, probably less <laughs>
3: Are you finding that we're seeing many, many more cases of lingually displaced mandibular canines than we used to? Because I swear, like a lot of the puppies I see in practice, I find it especially sort of smaller breeds, kind of any poodle crosses, Maltesers, that sort of thing. I don't remember seeing as many when I when I first graduated.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and to be fair, uh, I I had this exactly same conversation uh, with my colleague uh, just before Christmas. Um, and I think uh, that there are a few components. So in Italy, I don't remember seeing so many malocclusion, but in Italy we have way less uh, pure breed dogs, okay uh, So that could be a fact because the reality is that and this is a very fascinating topic. So orthodontics, uh, like uh, the the way the, our teeth are in the mouth, uh, and this is true for humans as for uh, for pets, has uh, um, a, a genetic component, uh, but not only. So, for example, I have a little overcrowd of my lower incisors. So my lower incisors are not exactly on the same line. My father had exactly the same. So, you know, there is a major genetic component. In some cases, you can have parents with absolutely normal dentition, normal occlusion, and the kids still have a sort of uh, they could have malocclusion related to overcrowding so it's yet to define exactly uh, the um, position of the teeth what is uh, fully related so there are multifactorial reason why we have an occlusion rather than another and i think in the uk we have lots of uh, pure breed dogs and uh, uh, lots of puppies especially in the last uh, so many years that uh, we've been obsessed with dogs uh, That is a good thing eh? so we have more awareness i think we have more awareness more uh, pure breed dogs and uh, um, and and these two things uh, i think that uh, make us uh, think that we see more and obviously they think that we we're breeding from lots of uh, you know dogs that uh, already have uh, an un- underlying genetics predisposition for some malocclusions, uh, then means that uh, because w- these puppies that we see now we, we they kind of have more often malocclusion so it the simple answer is uh, yes we see more malocclusion and uh, the what's behind it uh, it's it's a little bit more complex but if we, if we think about like uh, the malocclusion uh, that brachycephalic dogs have so all the boxers uh, bulldog uh, frenchies uh, they all have class prima occlusion with these lower mandibles longer than the upper mandibles and obviously that genetics we made that like this and <laughs> yeah. um, we, we even thought about doing a genetic study about it because um poodles or cross poodles I know that we shouldn't say cross poodles because there are like all the lab- and that. but you know, with the poodle component, most of them they have class one malocclusion or class two malocclusion. So, class one malocclusion means that we have a normal relationship between the uppers and lower jaws and one or more teeth in an abnormal position, like the lingually displaced teeth. And class two malocclusion is you know if you think about parrot so they have lower jaws that are shorter and this is the malocclusion that most often is causing pain because you have the lower canines uh, like needles uh, impinging off your uh, soft palate so obviously you know like if i think about italy uh, 20 years 20 years ago 30 years ago the, the dogs would live in the garden so who knows how many dogs had malocclusion, <laughs> nobody knew. And now with awareness, uh, breeding more uh, s- same type of dogs, that's you know, a major component, yeah.
0: No, that, that's really interesting. When you're doing workups, what kind of diagnostic imaging are you using? So I can imagine for your malocclusions, you're probably using more radiography, but when you're looking to do something like a mandelectomy, are you using advanced imaging techniques?
1: Yeah, so um I love uh, uh CT scan. Uh um so where I trained in uh iscot uh, uh, um City was uh, uh, a, a an incredible uh tool for us for any oncologic sur- surgery and uh, uh, we did tons of jaw uh, fracture repairs. So for us uh, in the in the head, uh, having uh, lots of uh, uh, structures that can overlap uh, in uh, in standard radiography, CT scan, and I'm sorry to say this to imagers, but 3D reconstruction is great <laughs> for us <laughs> because we can actually pre um, pre bend the, the plates uh, uh, for the surgery and this type of things. Um, well, my, my image already is because I was like, I hate this pretty reconstruction. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm a simple dentist. So if I can see what I need to fix, it's easier for me. Um, so, yeah, definitely advanced advanced surgery. It's mainly CT, although we are uh, about to um, invest in a CBCT. Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a tool that is going to be very, very helpful for us as a dentist as well. Uh, for the definition around the periodontal uh, tissues. Um, And uh, it's going to be a a faster way to have a full mouth x-ray. But obviously, a a dentist without uh, dental x-rays, it's like a pizza without cheese. It's not, you know, you shouldn't do it. Uh, Because the reality is that it's only what you see above the gengiva, the, the oral examination you're looking at one third of the structure that you are treating. And so, it's uh, really, dentistry shouldn't exist without dental radiography. Um, And actually, I had this conversation with my father, and he said that uh, in human dentistry, uh, it wasn't mandatory to have dental x-rays. So 50 years ago, they had the same problem. And somebody was like, well, you can't do dentistry without x-rays. So then became ma- mandatory to have dental x-rays. So I hope that in the future, we're gonna get at the point where you can't perform a procedure if you don't have an x-ray. I mean, if you ask an orthopedic surgeon to fix a fracture without an x-ray, they're gonna laugh at you. So that's that's
0: it. No, ab- absolutely. and. Thinking back from when I, even when I first graduated five years ago, in the first practice that I worked, we I never took dental X-rays because it was a mixed practice and we didn't we didn't have dental X-ray. Um, I just so I just wanted you to kind of go through the risks of extracting teeth without taking an X-ray first, just to kind of make our
1: listeners understand why radiography is so important in dentistry. Absolutely. So uh, first of all, uh, um despite in general anatomy it's more or less the same you can have uh, the morphology of of a tooth that is different from a patient to another so obviously knowing the shape of the tooth that you are extracting will help you understand which instruments uh, are going to be useful for you so you're going to use a luxator or an elevator which which side do you need to pull the other thing is that uh, anatomy um variation like extra roots uh, are quite common you know and uh, especially like uh, if you think about uh, uh the the uh, maxillary molar in cats uh, more than 10 percent have two roots uh, and and others have one root uh third maxillary uh premolar in dogs uh, uh, more than 10% of dogs have free roots. So obviously, if you don't know that if the, there is an extra root, uh, for as much as you can, you know, think about uh, how to extract a tooth with, with two roots, you will leave behind the root. Um, and additionally, uh, for cats, uh, one of the most common disease in cats is tooth resorption, that uh, it's, a, it's a pathology that affects uh, almost half Of the feline population and this increase with age Um, and so if you need to extract a tooth and you don't know that the tooth is ankylosed to the bone you could uh, spend three hours trying to do a procedure that maybe could have uh, been um, approached differently with the crown amputation for example so it's not only about uh, the the tooth itself. It's about the welfare of the patient under general aesthetic, the additional uh, time under general aesthetic because you want to perform a procedure but you are not achieving the results because there are um, diseases uh, that are present that you are not aware of. Okay, And uh, I wanted to add another thing. Uh, so there are two uh, main uh um, let's say, uh, papers that I mentioned uh, in my lectures, usually, uh, that is uh, uh, brought by Frank Vestrate, that uh, we could call him the godfather of dentistry. He used to be the professor, head of department in UC Davis. And what he did in the 90s, he took more than 100 dogs, more than 100 cats, they divided in... Patients uh, with uh, um, dental disease, a patient without dental disease. Uh, and he was like, what's the percentage uh, um, of uh, additional findings or uh, extremely important findings uh, that uh, I can get uh, after a full mass x-ray? And uh, the results uh, is that uh, in more than half of the patients, you have uh, fundamental information after you take x-rays. So that's, you know, speak. What out
0: for. No, thank you. That that makes so much sense.
2: Yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly very important. We see a lot of practices now have invested in dental radiography equipment, and it's certainly, or certainly over the time since I graduated, you see dental radiography in more and more practices. But I, I think a lot of people still find dental radiography difficult and and sometimes a little bit daunting or challenging so i was just wondering what what your kind of top tips are i know it's highly practical so it's probably not a lot we can necessarily do on a on a podcast um, because you can't see us and um, but but is there what are your sort of top tips for somebody getting started or if they find it if they find it a bit daunting what what would you what would your advice be
1: absolutely so if you are having a, uh if you are struggling taking dental x-rays is not your fault you haven't been taught at the university so be patient with yourself and good for you that you're uh, starting to approach uh, um this discipline in in the right way so if i didn't know uh, anything about dentistry but i wanted to start uh, reading reading or, or 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 going a little bit deeper on the topic I'm a YouTuber obsessed. So there are tons of incredible uh, tutorials on YouTube uh, done by um, incredible uh, American technicians on how to perform dental x-rays. Because the position of the head of the patients plays a big role. So if you don't know exactly how to keep the the head still, or if you want um, the patients in a certain position, they give you all the tips. that you need uh, on how to position the patients. First of all, that is in all, uh, I guess, uh, uh, imaging tools. If you have the, the, the patients in, in the correct position, then running the diagnostic, it's uh, it's kind of easier. So um, these, these videos, and I've seen them multiple times, uh, uh, because at the beginning, uh, it's it just practice. you know. And the more you do it, the more you get better. Um, and so they are going to teach you how to put the inclination of the tube, the degrees that you're gonna use and sometimes uh, if you have the the possibility to get in your practice and have a skull and doing like an hour of uh, uh, acquisition of dental x-rays for a few weeks and not every day but anytime you have a, a spare time going to see that uh, once you actually get to know the angles that you need to use and sometimes uh, different machines so if you have a portable x-ray or if you have a wall mounted they, they they there is a, a, a difference between these machines so get to know your machine practice 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 and you see that the, the the curvature the learning curvature it's super quick like uh, we're not neurosurgeons as i said like what we do it's quite simple in general and it's very repetitive and so i think with dental x-rays if you really want to learn about it you just need to take them but sometimes when i had students at the university you know like is the angle correct take it and see it and leave the tube where it is and and the, the when you look at the x-ray on the screen you already you the the x-ray is gonna talk to you and is. The questions, first of all, are was my film in the mouth in the correct position? Was the tube in the correct position? Because there are only two things that you can change. Where to put the, the film in the mouth, so is it inside fully? Remember that everything that is outside is going to be black on your screen. So if your uh, uh, plate is not completely inside the mouth, you are wasting um, space on your on your plate. And then you say, "Oh no, I actually have my tooth. It's uh, uh, in the middle, but um, you can see the the C of the tube on one side of the plate." Okay, means that uh, we need to move the tube towards left or right, depending on how you're taking the X-ray. So you can correct yourself pretty easily with dental X-rays, and uh, you 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 can you know like be the judge of yourself and 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 improve yourself doing these exercises.
3: That's the bit that I always found difficult actually is um not so much the position of the tube because i've got the bisecting angle technique fairly well cemented in my brain, but actually positioning the plate I find yeah. quite challenging,
1: yeah, so remember always depending on the size of the plate that you're using well let's assume the, mo- the most common size that we use is a size two and size four, so a size four a size a size two it's like um a classic uh uh library card uh, that you have on your on your uh uh, keys although i have the cex because i like electronics more than reading but that's to give you an idea and the size four it's a little bit is halfway of an iphone so those are the two sides okay when it's inside the mouth i always try to keep the teeth on on a, on, a, on on the long side of of the of the um, plate okay so just shovel the the plate inside the mouth and where are your teeth needs to be the side of your plate then to keep the plate in position I usually use uh, uh, swaps or a piece of paper or whatever you know sometimes I use the tongue when I use when I do the pos- the positioning for the upper uh, uh, so for the maxilla the tongue is very helpful to keep the the plate inside when i when i do the the one in the on the mandible i probably use more like a blue towel and when you do the parallel view of the mandible again so the one the one x-ray that is very difficult to 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 take in my opinion is the uh, third molar on the mandible And the trick is, you want the plate to be parallel to the mandible. So if I have the the dog in front of me, I put the uh, short edge of the plate literally between the two mandibles. So you you go down in the soft tissues. You're not going to hurt the patient. Don't worry. If the mouth is a bit dry, you can just uh, put some water just to make it uh, a little bit nicer for the patient then you push it down and then the top corner needs to be pushed down again in order to have the plate completely parallel to the mandible but the obviously the soft tissue will push the plate outside of the mouth so you need to to place quite a bit of glue tower or whatever you're using to keep the plate in position and sometimes you take it and the the third molar is not there so just be patient and just do it again and it at some point you, you're gonna get it and uh, if it's a bad day uh, just you know go drink some water come back and do it you will do it
3: <laughs> how long do you generally find it takes somebody to learn how to do a full set of mouth x-rays you know first starting from just beginner to being able to be left alone to just do it. How long does it take to pick it up?
1: Depends on the teacher. <laughs> I think so. Um, this is the the course that I teach the most. Okay, uh, and I can say that uh, um by the end of the day. So so usually we do one day course or two day course. By the course, you will not to take a dental exercise. Then usually they go home and then they send me uh email saying, I was doing so well, now I'm by myself, I can't take them. But sometimes it's not about the technique. Eh? Um it's about re reinsuring yourself and it's about like the attitude and, and, and the fact that sometimes we're not patient with ourselves because we feel the pressure that the patient is under journey aesthetic, the nurse is waiting for me. I go another consult afterwards. So what I try to say to the students uh, is, uh, or 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 the vets that come for the for the courses is uh, try to book the procedure in a moment where you can be calm with yourself. And once you have the skills done, then you know like we you can book multiple procedure. You can try to run as fast as you can. But the beginning to be successful, you need to be calm. Because if you're rushing and taking an X-ray, this is going to spike your insecurity. So it's more about managing your emotions than the actual technique. Because the technique is here. Once you've done the course, once you've seen a video, you know how to do it. It's more giving yourself the time to do it properly.
3: That's literally stress management in veterinary practice in a nutshell. Not just dental X-rays, but the entirety of surviving clinical practice in a nutshell.
1: So imagine this. Sorry, Sam. I just had this uh, quick comment. Um, today I had this Labrador where I was doing the rostral mandibularectomy, and uh, uh, he got light, and I could see that the the, the he, at some point he he looked at me, and he was waking up, you know. And so I said to my nurse, "Oh, you know, do you want to get some proper? Rostral? I think he's waking up." And uh, my nurse got very tense. And obviously, she knows how to insert the needle in the IV port. That's not a problem. But in that moment, she's like, "I'm really sorry. I'm not." And she missed it a few times. And I said, "You know, don't worry. You know, like uh, it's an older patient. He won't, you know, jump out of the of the table. So don't worry. you you place the needle. We do some propofol. Then we do some uh, meditomidine and and the patient is gonna be fine. And I was, I didn't do anything." I was just talking to her and she got relaxed in a second and she gave the proper call And this is the exact example of uh, of course you know how to deliver an IV medication, but the stress associated with the moment uh, sometimes keep us away from the success.
2: I was just gonna ask along a kind of common theme. We're talking about. Obviously, there is that pressure, that time pressure you have, and and dental procedures. I'm sure everyone can be very potentially very long. So I was just wondering, with going from that, with managing them, do you do you sort of sometimes stage procedures? Should people should people consider sort of? Sort of dividing them up if they've got if they are pushed for time because I know something when I was in practice, it was one of those difficult things where you'd start a dental thinking it was one thing, and then by the time you've done your x rays, it's something entirely different. And what was meant to take an hour becomes something that could take maybe three hours or or four hours and things. So, I was just wondering how, how you work around managing that, or if you had any advice for people around that side of it
1: absolutely um i think that time management uh, at the beginning uh, uh, of your career it's always very challenging i remember so when i was doing my first year of residency i was uh, uh, dealing with all the first opinion cases coming into the into the practice it was great because i had lots of uh, uh caseload exposure um but <laughs> obviously Maybe because I'm just a positive person, but at the beginning I was like to my nurse, "Don't worry, it's gonna be just the scaling and polishing." And she was like, obviously very experienced nurse, you're like, "Hmm." And I was like, "Oh." And it's obviously, never, you're... <laughs> never, scale and polish, never will be <laughs> So, uh, so the reality is that what I learned about time managing it's communication with the client, because remember what well, you can see on the oral examination in your consultation is the tip of the iceberg. So what I then learned very quickly, it was, uh, you know, I'm estimating that I'm gonna do this procedure, but until I take the ed- dental x-rays, uh, I can't tell you for sure how long the procedure is gonna be. So what I was doing, uh, it was uh, getting the patients under general anaesthetic. Uh, taking uh, the x-rays that I needed to take. In cats, I always take full mouth x-rays, always, always, always. In dogs, uh, I take x-rays uh, uh, of the teeth that are injured or uh, the part that is diseased. And only when they are geriatric, I take full mouth x-rays. So I would take my x-rays, and I would sit with my dental chart and do a treatment planning. I was like, oh, there are two teeth to take out. I said it was one hour surgery cool, I can do this. Fine, I don't need to update the owner. I take my x-rays, there are eight uh, teeth that need to come out. I call the owner and say, you know, there are more more teeth that are affected by periodontal disease, something that we couldn't see at the oral examination. Um, This procedure, instead of an hour, probably is going to be three hours, but for uh, uh, my perspective, it would be useful to have two shorter general esthetic, where I can perform better, my skills are fresh. So I think my uh, uh, let's say limit is two hours of surgical activities. So I can see that, uh, and I want to offer my best skills to the pet. So I, if I need to stage a procedure for the benefit of it, I will always do it. And owners always understand when you when you are honest with them, saying, you know, it's it's gonna be best for me and for the patients, that we're going to manage the situation like this. I don't remember an owner saying, no, do a proced- do four-hour surgery because, you know, I want this done. They usually acquire understanding, and you can understand that being focused at the same level for four hours, it's barely impossible, who does that? So for me, two hours is a limit, even in now, today, in a, in a referral setting unless I'm doing a a jaw fracture that is taking two hours and a half, and it's not that two hours, I'm like, no, close up, I'm done. But I, you know, hopefully, I try to manage my time so that my skills are at the level that I want to deliver.
3: I was just wondering how you find people take the subject of cost with regards to staging a procedure, because obviously generally things are going to be less expensive if they're done in one go even if it's a four-hour surgery so how do you find that negotiation goes because I generally found in practice that's pretty much the sticking point you know they want what's yeah. best for you and for the pet but they they don't like the idea that it's going to cost more to do it that way you know
1: I know I uh, that's uh, that's obviously always challenging and there was a problem that I had more in the past um, than I have now. Now I'm a bit more spoiled because uh, people that comes to me, they know that, that they are going to have to pay, unfortunately, uh, a, a big bill. Um, so they come prepared. So some people uh, would say for months before they come and see us. Uh, but when I was in uh, in general practice, uh, um, I'd say that uh, sometimes there is an awkward there are awkward situations where you're like okay there are not there are not two teeth to extract, but there are eight and the owners are like I can't afford to do that uh, and you need to deal with it. So um, I, I personally I, I get quite emotional in these so that I can't think straight so what I often do I involve my manager. And I would talk to the clinical director and say, there is this situation. And I don't think I'm the best person to deal with the financial side of things. And I I was lucky to have people that always supported me and maybe had a different perspective. Uh, uh, way to approach the, the situation of crying with the client. Like, oh my god, you can't afford it, what am I gonna do? So I think yeah, I I I I involved in the past uh people that could help me with the type of conversation and then where I used to work uh, um they had finance financial uh, plans and or like they could help owners in, in different ways. Uh i don't remember not even once that i didn't treat a patient because of money and it's because i um yeah i I was lucky to to interact with people that either through charities or rehoming unfortunately these are discussion to take in consideration especially there are some and often are these cases of like cats with stomatitis that they really need the surgery because the the pain they're, they're experiencing it's uh, uh, unbelievable and there are situations where you have to have the discu- discussion about rehoming because they need the surgery or you need to involve charities in it, it, somehow trying to help people because most of the people that are asking for help they're in need um so i, ho- I you know i hope that uh, everyone that is listening uh, And they're like, oh, easy, go to your manager to make a deal with it. But sometimes if it's too much for you, it's good to ask for help. Um, So that's what I do.
3: Do you know what I find really interesting about dentistry is that in the animal world, I think humans are very guilty of anthropomorphizing their pets in terms of they need to wear clothes, they want to eat human food, they want to sleep in our bed, all that stuff. But when it comes to dentistry, it's the opposite. You know, so, I mean, humans know how painful breaking a tooth off would be yeah. or cracking a tooth. We know that that would be agony. We wouldn't even be able to breathe. It would hurt so much. Or if we had particularly bad caries lesions or tooth decay like we know how much that hurts but i generally find most pet owners in a general practice context um if you point out a problem like that they don't want to really believe it they're like well he's he's still eating he doesn't cry out when he eats all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff is do you do you find that because i find it's a really interesting mm. dichotomy between dental problems and all the other things that pets have where people are more likely to project themselves onto their animals
1: absolutely so the the thing that i try to um uh take in consideration when i have this type of conversation is uh you are trying you are about to deliver an information that the owner will think that they miss it so they're gonna think how did i miss my pet is in pain that's not possible so the first reaction in most circumstances is i'm not accepting what you're saying because it's not possible i know my pet. it's like this so my mother is a pediatrician now you you know everything about my family but my, my, my mom, I had this conversation with my mom. And when my mom had to give a, an information about a kid to the parents, eh, it's always something shocking because uh, you think that you know your kids so well or you know your dog so well. And a person that you don't even know is telling you what's going on with the thing that you love the most. So I always try to be very, very careful with my wording. Eh? And stressing out that uh, because they are pets, they are animals, uh, the survival instinct, especially in cats that are proud creatures, uh, they won't show they are in, they are in pain because they would mess up everything around them. You know the rats are gonna make fun of them, uh, other cats are gonna bully them. Uh, so it's impossible. You know, like uh, pain. I've never been in pain in my whole life. So I try, you know, to 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 give all this like uh, information when I'm trying to say, you know, I know it's difficult to understand if a pet is in pain because they don't show us, and um, so that's the, what, what I try to do with my conversations. And then the thing is, uh, uh, it's a it's a discipline that uh, uh, even in the vet world, even vets, uh, uh, they totally ignore. (laughs) So obviously owners are right to be like oh, you know, my dog has halitosis because it's a dog, right? Yeah, maybe but, you know, like sometimes there is something else going on there. So I think um, these these two elements and the other thing is sometimes owners don't take care of their oral health. So it's difficult to have the conversation where you're like Oh you know like your pet has very poor oral health and maybe they're toothless so you're like okay this is gonna be awkward so it, it's these are all things that you need to take in consideration and uh, sometimes uh, it's not easy but with with the right approach I I'm usually fine with this type of conversation <laughs> <laughs>
0: must have great communication. It re- I mean, it really shows how important communication is and how you approach that a com- uh, communication. Um, the only thing I wanted to ask you was, how do you approach exotic cases? So, you know, your guinea pigs, your rabbits, is it very similar to dogs and cats or do you have a different approach?
1: So my approach is not approaching them. Uh, unfortunately, I don't treat uh, them as, uh, I don't think I'm the most qualified person to treat them. And uh, this is uh, related to the fact that my supervisor didn't treat them. And so I didn't get enough experience doing them. Although I would love uh, uh, in the future to to uh, increase my knowledge. I study like basic uh, uh, information about them to pass my exam. So I know the dental formula. I know when they, uh, the teeth are erupting and all these things. It's the type of disease that they, they have. But I don't have lots of uh, surgical uh, um experience, uh, but it's something that maybe in the future they will change. Uh, I I find them very fascinating. Although I did a mandiblectomy in a hedgehog once with this cell carcinoma. It was a very tiny, microscopic mandible. Uh, so if there is something to to chop off, I'm I'm fine. I can do that. <laughs> uh, don't make me do any anesthesia thing or other things uh, around, the, you know, keeping the uh, exotic animal alive. But uh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs>
3: Forgive my ignorance. Um, did dental vets deal with exotics at all? No. No.
1: No. No. That's Unfortunately, not. Yes, but the um, the University of Edinburgh uh, have an amazing exotic department. Uh and um uh, yeah, I I I really like to 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 watch what they were doing when I was there. and um, they're great.
0: So refer everything to the to the dick Vet school then. Anything exotic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So when we get the CBCT, CBCT is perfect uh, for, uh, for uh, small uh, exotic animals. So I maybe should invest uh, some of my time uh, uh, improving that part and acquiring more skills.
3: That's like an extra level of specialization, isn't it? You've got your exotic specialist, your dental specialist. Now let's go for your dental exotic specialist.
1: <laughs> it's like a fusion. I don't know if you ever watched Goku as like a, a anime when I was a younger person. It was like a few, like two people with like superpowers and like they're like let's do the fusion. They fuse together. Okay, you can cut this part.
3: <laughs> I think it. I think it needed your hand movements. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, what the listeners miss not being able to see the video. I didn't know if you were about to say
2: anything, oh, Sam. He is. <laughs> you kind of look like you're about to. Well, well no, uh, well, uh, maybe, but I, <laughs> well, I, like I am now. You've, you've sucked me into it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I'm trying, it just depends because I quite quite easily go off scope here, depending, like, mm-hmm. a well away from the, the sort of the, the, the main imaging part, but coming to the, the more the kind of maxillofacial surgery kind of part. Um, Obviously, we've mentioned the sort of CT plays a big um sort of role in in that with the kind of Im- imaging and things. So we're talking about kind of neoplasia and things. Do you do you, do you, is there much kind of involvement of radiotherapy along with the sort of surgical side or or kind of how how do you find the, those kind of cases? Well, just out of interest, because something I, I don't have that much experience of, because obviously in practice, yeah. you've tended to have the sort of kind of facial tumors or other things like that it was usually that they were very easily operable on because i personally wouldn't have performed a hemimandibulectomy or anything like that as well so it'd be interesting to just sort of hear a bit more about that
1: yeah and sorry i'm gonna be a bit anal here sam don't take it personally i just no don't please just correct whatever i've said so hemimandibulectomy is a human terminology because we only have one mandible right? Well, dogs and cats, they have two mandibles, right? So if you remove one mandible, you removed one mandible. Hemi me, it, 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 it would work if you only have one mandible, like humans. So you remove half of a mandible. While if you remove a part of a mandible in dogs and cats, you would call it rostral mandiblectomy, segmental mandiblectomy, or caudal mandiblectomy. That's just to to, to, to give you a little bit of. Uh,
2: no, thank thank you. That, that. that. I, to be honest, I, I had no idea that I've never actually me being old school. No, no, age, it's, so it's it, absolutely it, fine.
1: He, he, I can't even tell you the numerous time that especially surgeons uh, would use the word hemi sometimes even in publications and I'm like, uh, okay then. Um, Education we do but, here, so that was perfect. Uh, educate <laughs> uh, I mean, n- nobody's gonna die if you keep seeing hemi except for me. No, I'm joking. Um, so the question was, uh, what was the question? This. Scan. Oh, so the
2: question is about the kind of oh, it, the, the facial surgery and then sort of using the ct yeah. and then where surgery radiotherapy how it yeah. kind of combines with that and just just a bit more about absolutely. yeah how, how it works
1: yeah yeah absolutely sorry about that so when i was uh, at the university um with the um, uh, oncologic team uh, um we 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 worked very nicely together the thing is that uh, um if uh, if a tumor can be removed uh, entirely, and uh, more often is where it's located in a, um, quite caudal position, so a quite maxillary um, tumor or a quite mandibular tumor that for some reason you don't think you can get margins around it, then chemotherapy and radiation therapy are useful useful tools to use in combination. Um, sometimes uh, uh orals so if you perform an oral surgery and then you do radiation or you do radiation and then an oral surgery there are some complications associated with that uh, that is like uh, um, necrosis of tissues that can happen much later uh, after you've done uh, radiation therapy They can affect the results of your surgery Um, or uh, uh, acute periodontal disease that can be associated with uh, radiation therapy and periodontal disease can affect radiotherapy as well. So, um, I only worked in uh, in uh, in the department uh, at, at the university for for a couple of years. So I don't have a, a huge experience uh, with uh, with the radiation therapy. And if there is a a case that needs radiation therapy, they would see the oncologist. What I uh, experienced when I was there is that uh, um, sometimes it's uh, it's uh, challenging to combine the the two things. But we have uh, treated the patient uh, together, a dog uh, with a um, maxillary squamous cell carcinoma. Um, the, and and the, the radiation therapy cured the dog. And then the dog ended up with the um, uh, oronasal fistula. Uh, but the problem is that because the bone is so necrotic underneath, uh, that a bit naively, probably, uh, I tried to close the oronasal fistula. Don't do it in one hill. Unfortunately, it it is uh, uh, one of those cases, and in the the the, the is written in the uh, maxillofacial surgery book uh, wrote by Vestrate to uh, try to avoid to perform surgeries on uh, areas that have been radiated. Um, and despite you you know like. I, I I, I I think that was like the right thing to do for that patient at that point. Uh, then we had a late uh, dehiscence of the of the of the wound, and the patients managed fine at the end because uh, even with an oral fistula, the owner was very dedicated. So we were like, um, I asked the owner to brush the, the teeth quite, twice a day, to use uh, hexirins and all other things to keep the the patient happy with the reasonable quality of life, but yes, radiation therapy comes with a uh, complication. Also, it's great; it's a great tool. Uh, uh, but this definitely a topic that uh, a radio oncologist would be better to to talk about.
2: No, thank you. That was it. Was very silly. It's interesting to hear a bit about it because again, it's not something we can encounter very much in, in first or I encountered very much in first opinion practice. So I was just wondering how much how much he, he kind of did there. So no, that's very interesting. Absolutely.
0: I just wanted to ask through your residency and working at the vet school and also at dental vets, is there any particular case that kind of sticks in your mind? One that um, was what you know had a really good prognosis, recovered really well, or was really difficult? Is there any particular case or any you know a couple of cases that you can
1: so, talk about? Um, yes, there is a particular case uh, that is one of uh, the cases that is in the um, retrospective study that uh, has been just published about dentigerous uh, um, cyst in boxers uh, uh, in frontiers uh, that I wrote with James. Um, that is Jackson this uh well, I'm in love with uh boxes in general, uh but this the owner and and this dog specifically was a free uh he had only had three legs, and Jackson' was like the happiest uh boxer ever, and we treated for dentigerosis uh, that is. Uh, Extremely common in boxers that have a missing uh, uh, mandibular uh, first uh, premolar. So if you have a brachycephalic dog that has a missing uh, mandibular first premolar, you have to take an x-ray for sure because there are highly possibility that uh, there is a cyst associated with an unerupted tooth. eh? Um, in this specific case, uh, uh, so it, 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 I don't know why it happened, but I gave my personal email. Ah, yes, because I, I left Eastcott, but I was still. Uh, the, I treated uh, Jackson, and Jackson recovered completely. Uh, but I gave my personal email uh, to the uh, owner because I said, you know, I'm, I'm moving to Edinburgh, but if you have problems with with Jackson, just uh, give me a shout, and and uh, I will I will uh, call you. And since then, we regularly chat by email as friends, and my wife uh, called her like uh, my pen pal. (laughs) Um, And unfortunately, Jackson passed away uh, before Christmas. Uh, No, last summer, yeah um when she was on holiday so she was like writing i should have never left how did it happen and i was like oh my god jackson and she sent me like mugs and and coasters with the with Jackson's face, uh and she would uh, ask about my weapons and my cat uh, and we're like keep chatting and uh and yeah we basically we're friends although we never hung out like in real life but i don't know i had some personal problems and she had some personal problems and we're just keeping chatting about it. Um so that's a very specific and 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 dear to my heart.
3: Did you say you've got whippets?
1: I got one whippet so Fantastic.
3: far. Uh, you you can't have just one. I know. You do know that, don't
1: you? I to be fair, I I I would love a, an Italian greyhound.
0: Oh beautiful
1: so I I would love an Italian Greyhound or a second whippet, but we because he's a very gentle gentle soul. I I thought you know maybe give a, a dog that is just you know smaller than him it would make him feel like uh, <laughs> in charge of the situation. <laughs> Do you have whippets?
3: I had one. I lost him many two years ago, oh. but you know he's still here.
1: Just um running yes. my life <laughs> in the past. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's my first whippet. I always have had Labradors. Uh, and the first time I saw him drinking water from the bowl, uh, he was, uh, this is, uh, I, I'm gonna do an impression, so sorry, guys. He was like uh, drinking like this like so gentle i was like what is this i like used to love brothers they were like drinking water water everywhere like it's saliva everywhere he'll be like, like
3: what? yeah God, skipping it. over a puddle like
1: <laughs> yeah. oh no i'm not gonna touch that
3: yeah sam, <laughs> sam has a black so precious. He, like, face plants the water bowl and it's just like blah, 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 when he's drinking
2: yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm very much in the water everywhere, kind of sort of saliva everywhere. Not in no way dainty <laughs> at all, sort of like kind of more more likely to bounce around wrecking I'm everything.
0: Good. Yeah. <laughs> I was This this is why cats, you know, are just the better species. Yeah, talking
2: about talking about pets. Cats are good too. I have a cat too. How often how often should I be brushing my cat and dogs? Um
1: so as I do, no. <laughs> so if I can be honest here, and I hope none of real dentists are listening to this, um, if the if your cat or your dog are not prone to periodontal disease, eh? so like uh, my cat has beautiful teeth, and she's like three and a half years old like yeah brushing your teeth would be awesome i will win a gold star does it fit with my day-to-day life no because i'm forgetful uh, and because sometimes i'm like why am i annoying you with this Uh, and the reality is that unless you do it every day so the the publications are telling us unless you do it every day uh then you get it you get a result but if you start to do it like even every other day. Or maybe you go on holiday so you haven't done it, it's not worth it. So if your if your pet have no predisposition to dental disease, eh, so that is clinically healthy, yes, if you brush the teeth, awesome, but if you don't brush them, it's okay. But in the same way, if you have a patient that or or your own pet that have is predisposed to dental disease, eh, already had multiple extractions. Eh, oral care it's in, extremely important uh, for example my whippet is on a dental diet and and then i give the dental sick it will make any difference just a little bit and i'm happy with that and then if we need to scanning and polishing dental x-ray or something then i'll do it but i had labradors growing up my whole life and none of them had a dental disease because they're not prone to it so unless they fracture teeth eh, they can go their whole life without seeing the dentist because they're gonna see other type of doctors unfortunately <laughs> but not the dentist At different things if you have a a small poodle a chihuahua pug a frenchie the list can go on and on and on then you know then dental care it's it's a different story
2: Yeah, Yeah, I'm with you. My my Labrador's already um, uh, fractured two incisors, so uh, it's not even three. And
1: what did you do with that?
2: Yeah, they got them extracted.
1: Well, we could have done a root canal treatment. No, it's fine. (laughs) Incisor is fine.
2: to to, to to well to, again, we might need to cut this bit out of the podcast, but the, the teeth when he did it, he not only kind of fractured the crown but there was various kind of longitudinal fractures right, yeah, yeah. like going up the kind of up the actual sort of root of the tooth as well, so he he properly shattered yeah, yeah, them yeah. Um, into several pieces. It wasn't a nice crown fracture again i i again just in case anybody doesn't know, I'm not an expert <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but it's it, it's a it, nor do I claim to be one, but then um, that was why, the, partly why that decision. And not was. not only being.
3: that, but he completely ruined his flap afterwards, and it had to granulate because he's just squid.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did, he, he did that as well. Yeah.
0: The dangers of playing frisbee. <laughs> Well, that's been really interesting. If you'd like any further information on veterinary dentistry, then please get in touch or see our website imv-imaging.com or im3vets.co.uk for some great guides on getting your head around dental radiography. I'd just like to say a huge thank you to Ingrid for joining us and we'll be back next month for another episode of Focal Point. Until then, please take a look at our social media platforms for lots more great imaging content and keep scanning. So it's a
1: goodbye from all of us. Bye, everyone. Awesome. Thank you very much guys. It was a pleasure. Ciao.